At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy? It's only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra, uh, might not be player of the week actually, but it will be a something of the week coming up later in the episode all right everyone welcome on to a coach rankings edition of Hollinger and Duncan we did this for the first time last year and it's an extremely challenging exercise to be sure and then for everyone on locker room we're going to do our normal show for about an hour here get through as many of these coaches as we can in that time and then we'll take your questions whether it's on the coaches or anything else NBA for the last 20 minutes or so of the show John let's uh Start here, though, by just talking about how the hell you rank a coach. Yeah, I think this is a great place to start. Um, I think a couple of things stand out. One is what the coach can accomplish in the most high leverage situations. And so you look at adjustments in playoff series, uh, what what they were able to do in those situations, what they've been able to do in late game situations where one strategic move could make the difference between victory and defeat. Um, and then, but then you also pull the lens back a little and look at more globally. Uh, is this guy playing the right personnel in the first place and utilizing it the right way in the first place to get the most out of those players over the course of a game and a season? Uh, does the coach manage the entire season well, or does he run his players into the ground? Is the coach, does the coach have staying power? In other words, is he able to succeed over a course of multiple seasons or does his candle burn out after a year or two? Cause he's, just too intense or pisses everyone off or has some other weakness that is, uh, you know, exposed over time and, and doesn't allow him to succeed for, for a long period of time, even if he can have a short-term impact. So I, I think I look across all of those fields uh, when I look at the, uh, the coaches and kind of try to rank them here. And I actually think we're in a pretty good spot uh, just in terms it gets of better every year. It really yeah, does. Like relatively few punching bags and even the ones toward the bottom, I would say are guys that we might've had in the middle of the pack 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, we can expand on that obviously as we get into things, but a few other things that, that I'll note, some of these overlap a little bit with what you said, but obviously just like, and this is, fraught with peril and this is very difficult to do obviously we're not there every day we don't know exactly what the coach is doing we don't know exactly what the assistant is doing we don't know 
how much of it is the players getting better or being better than we thought and how much of it is the coach doing a great job but just the my overall conception of what a team's talent is compared to what their results are i think that that's a huge one um particularly for younger teams how well players develop on the coaches watch is a huge one and that for many of these coaches uh who are being hired for young teams that don't necessarily have playoff expectations that's probably your number one uh, criterion absolutely um Yeah, and just the overall offensive and defensive system, I think, just to be able to say, hey, here's what this coach is doing that has actually worked uh, or not worked. Um, You hit on this a little bit, too, but I'm just maintaining locker room harmony and the uh, emotional development of of the team. I shouldn't say development, but the emotional harmony of the team. Getting along with the front office has destroyed many a coach. Yes. Um, So, yeah, and I think... Obviously, you have to put a greater emphasis on just coaches who have done it and have more of a resume. My personal philosophy is I would rather have the younger coach who looks like they have some promise than the established coach that we already know is pretty mediocre, even if we know that they're also competent. But that's, yeah, I, I don't know, is that your philosophy as well? Or do you feel like, hey, we, I would rather just have some certainty with, you know, your Stan Van Gundy or Billy Donovan type? Uh, well, I mean, Certainly living in Atlanta, there's a case to to be made for that right now. Um, But, uh, you know, it's almost like a draft, right? Where, okay, are you going to... Are you going to kind of limit your upside or limit your your playoff ceiling? Um, or do you, do you want to take a shot at somebody who maybe can be a top five coach in the league? Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's fair. And yeah, to just kind of limit yourself to like a coach in the 20s to not get you killed. Uh, there's there's one coach at one organization, I think, who kind of who kind of did that because, you know, when you go for the unknown, it can just go horribly wrong <laughs> at times. Yeah, so yeah, um, anything else we need to talk about here before we just uh, get to it uh just i think there are a number of coaches where the resume is thin enough that we're almost guessing at where to put them uh just in terms of you know we have what five first time first year coaches this year i think um so obviously placing them on this board is uh going to be a little bit of a dart throw yeah, no, absolutely. And that, but that's, uh, that's kind of the fun of this. And obviously we know what our rankings were last year. We'll talk about who the highest risers and fallers were, where we might have gone wrong last year as well. We'll splice all that in. So without further ado, John Hollinger, who's the best coach in the NBA? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. One more thing before you answer that. Okay. Uh, what this is, what this is for is the criteria is who we would want coaching our team, our favorite team right now for the next four years. So it's not necessarily the same as like a coach of the year award, who d- who's done the best this regular season, who's coaching the best right now. This is, we are making every coach in the league is a free agent and we are making a coach hire right now for someone we expect to coach out at least a four-year contract okay um so so hopefully that doesn't change anything for anyone Do- doesn't for me uh that that's the criteria that we used last year as well so uh now why don't you tell me your uh number one coach in the nba and i'll not interrupt you this time okay um this guy was not the number one guy on my board last year i think in the last year he's proven that he really has a case to be number one um because he's really been able to juggle a win now mindset with some pretty impressive player development, which is really hard to pull off. And most coaches who tilt toward the one direction in, in terms of a, a win now mindset are 
almost dismissive of player development and and kind of thinking about tomorrow in a way. He's really been able to balance these things. He's been there a long time. He's won a championship. He's outperformed in playoff series. Uh, so I'm going to put Eric Spolstra number one. Eric Spolstra was my my number two, um, but certainly has a very good case for number one. And last year, uh, I had Nick Nurse in tier one, slot number one by himself. I still have him number one now. I'm, mm-hmm. I thought last year in the playoffs, he did a totally good job. Again, yes. he, he caused some problems for Boston. And I'm just not going to penalize him for this crazy year. Uh, I, I guess I am a little bit because I'm moving him down into the pack with mm-hmm. Spo, but Spo bolstered his resume between last yes, year clearly. and this year. Spo the was thing- my number five last year in a tier between from two to seven. Yeah, and the so the thing that held me back a little on Nurse was not this year as much as just that overall he's only in his third season in Toronto. I think I I. As I thought about things and thought about my own front office experience, I put a little more weight on being able to succeed over a number of years in the same place. Um, because that's, I mean, that's so valuable to an organization when you have that kind of stability in the coaching staff uh, ranks. So I, I kind of, I gave those guys a bump because of that. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think if Nick Nurse would probably still be my number one as far as who I would want coaching a playoff series. Uh, he did have a few late game foibles in that Boston series, but mm-hmm. overall, I think he had a pretty good strategy. He liked to mix things up. He's probably the least orthodox and most unafraid coach out there they've continued to develop players they've continued to develop players there as well although some of those end of the bench guys like uh haven't done as much this year in toronto when they've needed to play more but again i just with COVID and tampa and all the injuries they've had i just i i can't ding nurse too much for that if they have another bad year next year then obviously i think that could change a lot if you're looking for a gift idea for someone's birthday especially if that person is active but might also be getting a little old like me someone who complains about being sore a lot you have a sore back sore knees i highly recommend theragun i've actually gotten a theragun for probably like five or six of my family and friends at this point If you don't know what it is, it is the handheld percussive therapy device. It releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. Their new Gen 4 Theragun gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension. And their signature percussive therapy goes 60% deeper than just vibration alone. You've got these adhesions. In your body, you've got that knot that you just can't seem to get out. Maybe even you get a massage and it doesn't work. Theragun is the best way I find, even better than massages, frankly, for getting rid of those muscle adhesions. And in particular, whether I've had some low back pain, some tight shoulder, tight neck from working out, I've been able to get rid of all of it uh, with the Theragun. So you can try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash PER. Easy to remember because John invented it. And you can get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash PR, theragun.com slash PR. Don't forget that slash PR to let them know that you came from us. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21 grain salute to a less boring sandwich. Thanks to Dave's killer 
bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed-coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store spolster is my number two Mm -hmm. and i think both in terms of the culture that he has there he's able to win now without playing guys too many minutes uh, yeah. They've had their own it's, problems, obviously. Yeah, Go it's ahead. interesting because they sort of sneer at load management, but then they kind of low key do it too. They just don't call it load management. So I think that's pretty funny, and that's a big difference in Miami's mindset from the way they used to operate. And it used right. to be a big negative for them that they that they basically were, um, you know, they were running their players into the ground. And I, th- I think they've really done a one eighty on that, and it's really helped them. Yeah, and Spo uh, had series where he just massively outcoached Nate McMillan and then Mike Budenholzer and then I would say Brad Stevens as well last year and yeah maybe the bubble is a little bit different than normal but he has he's also set up this system now where they run a bunch of shooters off of handoffs that's very difficult to deal with the league's kind of caught up with that maybe a little bit this year yeah Uh, but again they've had so many injuries Uh, they develop guys of course that's a, a big part of it as well as you mentioned and willing to change up the defenses also not take the regular season too crazy seriously but still compete during that so yeah he's he's a totally worthy number one to me you're splitting hairs for me between uh nurse and spolstra uh so then so are all these guys still kind of in the same tier for you or would you would you have had we have spolstra just like massively above everyone else uh i did not have a massively above everyone else uh so i i think there's a kind of top ish tier um that's spolstra nurse and i have maybe two more guys in that uh so who are those uh so quinn snyder i put him third uh doesn't have a championship and probably should have won that denver series last year but overall track record is really strong long-term success in the same place put in a system that absolutely maximizes what they have, especially at the offensive end. They've been the best team in the league this year, obviously could win a championship this year. Um, and I, I would say the the one question for him now, I mean, we haven't seen Utah really make that deep postseason run where where his skill really gets tested. And part of that's just been that the pieces haven't been there to do that. So I think this year will be an interesting one to see him, you know, maybe coach 20 playoff games and get a real feel for how he is in that postseason environment. I mean, certainly he's had he's done well in the playoffs. I mean, he smoked Billy Donovan in that uh, OKC series a couple yes. of years ago. But uh uh, to see him go, you know, deep in playoff rounds and have to deal with some different things, I think would be uh, a very interesting thing. So I thought he got outcoached by Mike Ballone last year. Uh, he things were so easy for them in the beginning, and, and it looked great. 
when they went up 3-1, but then they really they could not come up with any answer for Jamal Murray, who was incandescent, and they didn't have great personnel, admittedly. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, they kind of couldn't score in the end of that series, and I thought Malone just uh, pushed the, the right buttons a, a little bit more. But And last year during the regular season, I thought they had a relatively middling campaign uh, integrating Mike Conley. Granted, he was injured, but that also kind of took a while. And now, But now they have found something, and, and I think if you're going to credit, if you're going to say, oh, hey, the Jazz don't have that much talent, they might not win in the playoffs, well, then you probably should be crediting their coach. He's he's going to win coach of the year this year, I think. I think that'll be completely justified. And you know, whether it's all the pick and rolls, whether it's funneling everything to Gobert, uh, his um, player development is something that probably needs to be talked about more. You know, you're yeah. talking about a the best team in the NBA is built around a 13th pick and a 27th pick, both of whom developed uh, under his watch. Mike Conley looks better than ever. What, what about Joe year. Ingles player development? Sure. I mean, yeah, he, he, he was, was 27 when he got them and he wouldn't shoot the ball. Right. Yeah, like, now he's going to set the NBA record for yeah. shooting percentage this year. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Royce O'Neal is another solid yeah. starter that they just got out of nowhere. George Nyang mm-hmm. is a, another guy who they've gotten a quality rotation piece out of who just w- was essentially available for free. Uh, Jordan Clarkson is actually defending some in Utah and playing the best ball of his career. So it does seem like most guys come there and play their best so yeah he was he's actually number five for me just because he he's had some good playoff series but also i I think that series against denver last year was kind of a step back and my number three is still brad stevens i thought he had a very nice playoffs last year until running into eric spolstra who's also you know ranked above him for that reason this year has been another just crazy wrecked year for the celtics i i'm still i'm loathe to these teams that have just had so many absences in this crazy season. And then those absences compound by having to play guys more minutes and there are more games. And it's just, you know, Jason yeah. Tatum isn't a hundred percent. Kemba Walker hasn't been a hundred percent. Yes. They've been a disappointment this year. I'd say probably the biggest thing on Stevens would be just not being able to get enough out of some young guys that were kind of expected to be in the rotation and blossom, but they've also developed Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown there very well as well. Yeah. I, so I actually had Steven seventh this time. Uh, so I had two dings, a couple dings on Stevens. Um, should have beat Miami last year. Um, this is also the second time in three years where they've had kind of a disappointing season with weird chemistry. Um, so I, th- I think that is a little bit of a factor. I think in terms of like late game clipboard, he's as good as anyone, right? Uh, so d- definitely give him credit for that. Uh, I think in terms of player selection and usage, I mean, they kind of had to take some of his toys away this year just to get the right players in the lineup in, in terms of getting Teague out of there and removing Tice so that they would start Time Lord. Uh, so I think that's a little bit of a ding, too. Tice is better than Time Lord, I think. Uh, he's playing great in Chicago, too. I, I totally understand why he was playing Tice. But uh, yeah, so t- let, let, t- me, t- let me reorient that. Playing Tice and Thompson and not playing Time Lord at all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that's that's definitely not that good. Um. No, I I agree with you on that, and we'll see what what happens this year. Obviously, if they can get everyone healthy, uh, if they just kind of flame out in a five game first round loss, things will kind of change. I'm just ch- kind of I'm very loath to overrate what's happened this year for these teams that have just kind of been mm-hmm. messed up, and that that applies to my number four guy, which is Rick Carlisle. Who's yeah, still, that's I had him I had him yeah. fourth as well. And I uh, thought I, he coached a pretty good series last year against 
the Clippers, when they're a little bit outmanned, particularly even once Porzingis went down, uh, they did get worked towards the end of that series, but they had no business even being in that without yeah, Porzingis. Uh, yeah. And so the Clips, I think, were people like, oh, well, they lost to Denver anyway. But I think the Clips kind of ran out of gas in that Denver series in a way that wasn't necessarily the case in the Dallas series. Yeah. So I, I thought I thought he did a, a really nice job, and this will be another chance for him again to see if if they're healthy or not. He may still be skating on reputation a little bit. Their bench hasn't killed the way. Part of why it was so, so high on him last year was what they did with Luca off the floor. That hasn't been as good this year. Um, he's a little more kind of old school and his development could be a little more dicey, but they still have had some success stories like Finney Smith and mm-hmm. Jalen Brunson. Uh, what else can we say about Rick Carlisle? Um, I think he's, to me, he's always been one of the best when he's down 15. Like he will figure out a way <laughs> to junk up the game and just change things and give his team a chance. And that goes like, and that goes back. Like that's, you remember that year they won with Dirk. I mean, it was winning yeah, game, game two. two Miami when they were down so much where they, where they kind of were able to change that game in the third quarter. And I've just seen him do that so much. And, and uh, you know, maybe this is more anecdotal talking here. You know, he's coached enough games. Inevitably he's going to win some of them when he <laughs> comes back from a deficit. But I, I, I feel like this happens so much with Dallas and, and that he's just, so good at figuring out how to throw a monkey wrench in the game and not give up on it, even when it looks like his team's at a major disadvantage. And they end up stealing some of those. Yeah. Now, a few things that I would note on him where I think there is a possibility he could get past here in these next couple of years. They never run. His teams never, ever run, uh, which I, I think they're really leaving some free points on the board there. His half-court offenses are always really, really good, but if you never run, it's just that, that kind of can yeah. limit you a little bit. It, but, it, you know, they still had the best offense of all time, at least in raw terms, last year, and, and they're pretty darn good again with Luka on the floor this year. So that, that's one that I would say uh, is a ding on him. Uh, I'm trying to think if there – I wouldn't necessarily point to any, anything else – and he's resisted the urge to post up Perzingis a ton, which, you know, even when he first <laughs> yeah. got him, like, he, I don't know. I think a lot of coaches would have reflexively done that. Yeah. And, and he's actually found a way, like when he has posted up this year, his numbers are actually relatively successful. Yeah. So, he's posted so, yeah. up against people like my size, right? It's when he gets a switch or an advantage that he's doing it. Yeah. So, all right. So here's my top five. This is runs out my tier one is Nick Nurse, <laughs> Spo. Brad Stevens, Carlisle, and Quinn Snyder. You mentioned that you had Stevens down at seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, did you do the tiers this year? Is, is, is there? I did uh, not do formal tiers, although I can tell you I have them in my head, so I can sort of tell you what they are. So yeah, I had, do. I had so my one A, one B was like Spolstra, Nurse, Snyder, Carlisle. Um, although Carlisle, yeah, no, you could argue he's moving down to tier two. Um, so my next tier, I had Stevens in it, I had Carlisle in it, and then the other two were Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich. Yeah, I have those guys lower, mm-hmm. uh, particularly Kerr. Um, I've got Kerr in a group that's in the 11 to 20 range, and I think just the, these last years have been a little bit of a stain. They mm-hmm. can never figure out how to score basically without Stephen Curry. Like without Stephen Curry, Steve Kerr offenses are the worst in the league. Now, part of that's the personnel. Draymond Green is kind of doesn't really work without Steph Curry anymore. And he's got Kavon Looney out there. They've never really had a good traditional back 
backup point guard who can run pick and roll but they have enough here to where they shouldn't just be last in the league every year even last year they Mm -hmm. thought they could have gotten more out of d'angelo russell than they did just the Kerr movement system is built around Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. And even their numbers with Steph on the floor this year are not that amazing. Part of that is because they're trying to be better defensively, and that's their personnel. And uh, Steph just let Steph run the offense, and hopefully that'll mm-hmm. be enough. So, but And then uh, development it has been a kind of a bugaboo of late for Kerr. Certainly, he helped Draymond and Steph and Clay all get to far beyond the level that they were when he joined up. But that was six years ago now. And I think that you yeah. have to continue to evolve. And I'm not sure how much you can say that Steve Kerr has done that. I think his ATOs have been good this year. I, and I think he's always done pretty well in the playoffs with just a, a few very notable exceptions to that. Uh, and he's still a, a good emotional leader as well and very well respected, represents the organization, etc. But I just, I don't think if you look at relative to the personnel the last couple of years, particularly on offense, I think that he has been a negative on in his offensive coaching without Steph Curry. Okay. I may be, I may be giving him too much credit for the five years that preceded that, but... Yeah, yeah, making the finals five years in a row. Why are you giving him credit? For that? <laughs> right, that, yeah. that matters to you. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I still, uh, I, I still very easily could see him potentially getting back to that level. But it's just, you know, we're talking about. You could talk about the job that a guy is doing in his current situation, and that's important. But I think you also need to say, hey, if this guy was the coach of a random team, could he be effective? And I, I, we, I got questions about that with Steve Kerr. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had him, I had him ranked number thirteen in that 11 to 20 tier um okay and then pop i actually had as number 11 okay uh i think i was lower on both these guys than you last year so yeah last year yeah. i had uh kerr nine popovich 10 so i've just i've moved the, both of them down just a little bit based on these this recent time here and uh you know i think that's just fine i don't think any either of them has done anything unbelievable over the last year or so and i think also some of the other guys below them have moved up like frank vogel for example uh yeah yeah he's moved up a lot for me he's he's a guy worth talking about definitely yeah so i you know popovich i think obviously his track record speaks for itself and and uh you know uh, where he falls in NBA history. So the argument is where does he fall right now as, you know, the current version of himself? I, I for one, have been surprised by how good the Spurs have been this year. Um, I think they've done a good job developing players. I think they've uh, stepped away from some of the mistakes they were making a year ago uh, in terms of investing too much in in just trying to limp into the playoffs uh, and and ride those veterans. And now to the point where they, you know, basically pulled Lamarcus aside and told him he wasn't going to play, uh, which I think I think was the right move. And I, I see a lot of these younger guys coming along. I don't know if any of them are going to be like a big star, so it may not ultimately pay the greatest of dividends, but I think it's still impressive when you can develop seven or eight guys at the same time and have them all be halfway decent. No, that's true. I mean, to uh, and their hit rate, 
they had a, a few misses in the middle of the last decade, but now they're really back to Keldon Johnson, Derek White, DeJounte Murray, and that's three number 29 picks in a row who are all starting for you now. That's that's pretty fucking good. Yeah. Uh, Jakob Pertl is developing into one of the best rim protectors in the NBA under Popovich. So, yeah, this is not to say, not even to say necessarily that Popovich has done a bad job over the, the last couple of years. I, I still wonder about him as being a great playoff coach. I actually am lower on him there just due to some of the playoff failures that the Spurs had when they were high seeds during his tenure. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, they had some successes too, but more failures, honestly, than successes if you really go through the resume of all the times they got upset. And I think his, uh, his greatest no. strength was always managing the season and not necessarily yeah. optimizing the postseason. Um, but, yeah. I mean, obviously that um, – was it 2014 when they when they were just so they had so much more energy than Miami? It was ridiculous. Um, oh 15, yeah, yeah. Was 14 or 15 actually? 14, 14, 14. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, th- I thought that was the perfect kind of encapsulation of how how good he is. It's sort of managing the guys through the season and not uh, going to the whip too much and and really making sure that they're on the same level for for all 82. So yeah, the, now their bench always kicks ass. However, and part of this is the personnel, but and part of this is the way they choose to develop players too. They kind of don't want guys shooting threes until they're actually good at them. But the three-point attempt rate always being really low is kind of a problem for me. I think that's one thing where now they get better results out of that than you would expect. Uh, but yeah. now they're actually they're kind of back down in the lower end in offense. And I think that approach is part of it. You know, they don't have Lamarcus in his post prime anymore to really be awesome for mid range. It's an, he's not playing as much to the personnel anymore. It's really DeRozan is the only guy who's like a good mid range player on this team right now. But I think this again, this is not really to say that Popovich is like any worse than last year. I think that I could point to a number of guys that I have moved up. Uh, and also one new coach, actually, who I have in, okay. in my top 10, who I think doesn't get enough. But uh, my number wow. six in uh, tier two, I have a tier from six to 10. And then uh, okay. Popovich started my tier three. Okay, uh, My number six is Frank Vogel. Okay, I had him eighth. Uh, yeah. I, I think he has a great case to be higher than I ranked him. Uh, he won the championship, obviously, in his first season in L.A. But also... He he wasn't just on autopilot to win this. Um, he did some interesting things in the postseason that really wrong-footed. I mean, Houston especially uh, in in that second round series, uh, and even Portland in the first round. And I thought he was unafraid to. Uh, kind of go with whoever, whatever combinations gave him the best chance, even if there was somebody else with a bigger name. And I I just thought he, he managed them through that whole thing very well. And even in the regular season too, you know, he chose to play big the whole year and people were kind of wondering about that. But then he made the adjustment once the postseason came around that he needed to, which is that he was better off playing small. He took a guy who was a veteran who started 66 games in the regular season and DNP'd him the last two rounds of the playoffs, right, with JaVale McGee. Uh, So I I give him a lot of credit. I think he's really burnished his reputation. And I think the biggest thing has been just the overall defensive culture and mentality that he's brought in. He's gotten LeBron James to buy in on defense. Uh, Ask Ty how hard that is. 
mm-hmm. during the regular season. And yeah. he's gotten Anthony Davis to buy in. And yeah, Anthony Davis doesn't want to play center that much. And he's acceded to that wish during the regular season, but found a way to play that gets their defense going. And by the way, since Anthony Davis went out, the Lakers still are a top defense. I think they might even be the number one defense they are the six, six and four, I think now without LeBron and Davis. Is that right? Six and five. It's not, it's like not that? that good, but it's, I mean, it's right around 500, which yeah. I expected them to play 300 ball yeah, without absolutely. those two guys. Yeah. And they're doing it defensively. And like without LeBron and Davis, I'm sorry, like who are the awesome defenders on this team? Like Montrez Harrell is actually playing decent defense for probably the first time in his career. Schroeder, uh, you know, they've got like just not really, they don't have like a wing stopper either. KCP is probably the closest thing. Yeah, Yeah. so so to get this type of defense out of the personnel that's available has been fantastic. And they're the best defensive team last year in the playoffs, I think pretty easily. Uh, And Anthony Davis to me was, is the best defensive player in the NBA in the playoffs. Frank Vogel's been a big part of that as well. So, and uh, managing the egos has been fantastic. He's just brought overall stability to an organization that was kind of a clown show, frankly, before he got yeah. there. And, and credit Rob Polinka for that some uh, as well. And yeah. uh, the the LeBron influence, he's been kind of uh, more in tune than he was in Cleveland. But yeah, and Frank Vogel, the other thing I would say too is he did a great job. You mentioned like benching McGee down the end of games. In the playoffs last year, he was able to find the right combinations, whether that was Rondo or Caruso, KCP, Kuzma. Kuzma's another guy who actually he's gotten to play really good defense now. Who yeah, was a who didn't play any defense there. before. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think he is really been fantastic and just uh, one of the better defensive coaches and it it appears now that his Orlando tenure was the outlier not his Indiana tenure he's really doing some of the same things that he did in Indiana yeah yeah most protein bars are awful I like to work out I've tried basically all of them and before Bilt Bar I'd resigned myself to the idea that they're all gonna taste like a rock quarry but now with 18 amazing flavors the improved Bilt Bar is even more delicious There's six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry bar, sia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp. Of course, there are classics like raspberry, peanut butter, double chocolate, peanut butter brownie. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate. That makes a huge difference. By the way, they're soft and easy to chew, but they're still great for the health conscious person. For example, peanut butter, 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs. Great for a keto diet. And you can even get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. Go to builtbar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. If the last year has taught us anything, it's that we don't really need bricks and mortar stores anymore. Going to your local auto parts store really was not a good experience to begin with. In that front area, they never really had anything other than just totally generic stuff. And then you would go to that desk, you probably had to wait in line while the one person who was there at the counter tried to find the part that the person in front of you wanted. And then finally, when you got up there, you'd ask for your part and they'd say, oh yeah, we can order that. It'll be here in two weeks. Well, great. I could have just stayed at home and used rockauto.com, got my part faster and saved a bunch of money. Chain stores at different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. Rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. 
So go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car and truck. You just put your make and model in there, right? Locked on in there. How did you hear about us box? So they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com. Who else do you have uh, in this general area here? I, it, it kind of from six to 10 that we haven't mentioned yet. So the, the other two guys I had are, I think they're the only two guys left with championship rings, uh, Doc Rivers and Teron Liu. I had Lou a little bit lower. I had him right with Popovich, uh, mm-hmm. Kerr. Uh, so I had Lou at 12. Tell me why you, you have Lou ranked where he is. So not as much track record as these other guys, obviously. But I thought the the one year he won the championship in Cleveland, I thought he pushed all the right buttons. Um, oh, yeah. And, and won a series that it was not predetermined that they were going to win at all, right? Like, yeah. so I, I, I mean, I every year in the playoffs in Cleveland, I, I think he did a, a wonderful job. That 2018 yeah. run uh, as well, they had probably, they didn't really probably have much of business even being in the finals that year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so give him a lot of credit for that. I think with the Clippers this year, you, you don't really know until they get the postseason. I mean, you know they were going to win a bunch of games, but you knew they're kind of on cruise control more or less until they get to the to the postseason. So we'll see what he can do with this crew in the postseason. If it's and if it's any better than what happened with Rivers a year ago, um, you know, Doc, I think. Uh, he had a pretty long run with the Clippers and with Boston. I think he's getting a lot out of this Philly team too. I think he has a great ability to read people and read a locker room. Um, and he's he's had some disappointments in the playoffs, but he's also had some teams that overachieved in the playoffs too. Uh, so I I think this is this is about the right level where I put him. Uh, I like it. In general, you know, you talk about who do you want coaching your team for the next one. Like, if you're a Philly fan, when they announced that Doc Rivers hire, like, you were happy. Like, you're like, okay, yeah. now we got ourselves a coach. So, uh, you know, I, I think I had him ninth and Lou tenth. Yeah, so I, I had uh, Doc at eight and Lou at 12. But I had Lou in a tier below Doc, and that may end up being kind of hilarious if the Clippers do a lot better this year. Again, yeah. with the caveat that the bubble was really weird and they were missing some guys and stuff as well. But Doc Rivers, to me, I thought he was such a good hire in Philly because probably the thing that he does best as a coach is just get stars to play well. And when he came to, or, or when, you know, KG and Paul Pierce and Ray Allen were in Boston, he got a lot out of them. Then he moved to LA. He got more out of DeAndre Jordan than Vinny Del Negro had been getting, got more out of Blake Griffin than Vinny Del Negro had been getting. And then he moves to Philly and Philly was kind of out of bullets from a personnel standpoint. The way that they were going to do better is by Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons taking big steps forward. Tobias Harris as well. And Doc Rose has just gotten those three guys. Simmons has fallen off a little bit lately, but Harris and Embiid are easily having the best seasons of their career. And Rivers is finding a way to get Embiid the ball more and more at the end of games when he's been unbelievable than Brett Brown did, admittedly with a little bit better fitting of roster yeah. than they've had before. Uh, and Danny Green, again, is having a good season. So I, I think it, you could say for Doc that maybe it, he has had these meltdowns in the playoffs. That's a concern. But you'd really be hard-pressed to tell me that he is not a very, very good regular season coach and 
I think he's he still has some old school tendencies. His teams don't take a ton of threes. He's kind of a little bit more okay. Let's call a timeout and run this ISO post up yeah, to yeah. just like like settle things down by getting it to our best player. He's got a little bit of that mentality. But at a team like Philly, that works really well. And you know, he's probably going to be my number two pick for Coach of the Year behind Snyder, and th- that definitely means something uh, mm-hmm. to me. And he obviously is a very respected part of the uh, organization and representing the organization, all that stuff too. Maybe not that great on development. That, that might be one thing you could point to, although like Shea Gilgis-Alexander got off to a good start under him. But yeah, just very, very, very solid. And maybe maybe I'm not putting enough stock in the postseason collapses. And I would say that about my number seven guy, and that's Mike Budenholzer. Yeah, so I had him 11th um, and... I wasn't sure what to do with him because I think he's top notch in the regular season, but unproven at best in the postseason. I think we can say now to well, his he credit, might, he might be proven. He, he might, <laughs> right, proven, right. Actually. To his credit, he's trying some different things this year, and I think he's doing them with the playoffs in mind, even knowing that it's going to cost them some regular season wins and to to make them a more adaptable, flexible postseason team. And so we'll see if that plays dividends for them in the postseason where they're probably going to have, you know, if they're successful, they'll probably have to get through two really good teams back to back with Brooklyn and Philly. So I ended up with Budenholzer 11. I kind of had him in a tier by himself, like hasn't yeah. won a championship, but really awesome in the regular season. Now, Bud, he, it's funny that he's called Bud instead of Bud, but you know, it, it is what it is. It is. The same way. Like if you call Dennis Schroeder Shrud, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, or, or how uh, Tom Thibodeau, they still call him Tibbs. Yeah. Maybe we should start calling What's him What's up Bud. with that? <laughs> In any event, though, you should call your show Danked On. All right, let's let, let, let's get back to, to okay. evaluating his coaching, please. <laughs> uh, so it's very clear that when he comes in, he's going to do a very good job with this team. I mean, we cannot forget that under the Jason Kidd and Joe Prunty experiment, this was like a 45-win Bucks team. Yeah. And Bud just took, granted, they got Brooke Lopez, but he took that team basically into a 60-win type of team. And that's uh, they don't have the same depth that they've had previously, and they've had some some injury issues as well. Drew Holiday getting COVID really hurt them, but they're right on track to being basically the team that they've been these last couple of years. I think they, they, I like them more in the playoffs this year. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's just, he clearly to me, if you're just ranking only regular season coaches, he's easily in the top five to me. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, for, especially when we're talking about him being, being a coach on a random team, not just the team that he's on. You have to give a lot of respect to that. There, for for many many organizations, getting you to be better in the regular season matters way more than the playoffs because you just don't have the talent to really win at the highest levels yeah, anyway. Exactly. And that's it's three quarters of the team in the league, basically teams in the league. Basically, that's true. Yeah. Well, and frankly, the Bucks wouldn't be considered a team that could win at the highest levels if they hadn't gotten Mike Budenholzer, who has gotten them to play well enough that that's even a possibility. Yeah. Exactly. And on the other hand, he's gotten his ass kicked a couple times in a row here in the playoffs with this group. But but again, by Nurse and Spolstra, let's let's be clear. Those that's by our number one and number two coaches. So yes, you are expected to get out coached. But both those teams, I think there's a feeling they didn't have home court, obviously, in the bubble, which I think hurt them and it could have changed things. 
things. But clearly, I think even more so in the Spolstra series, there was a big time learning curve for him just dealing with Miami. It's like Kelly Olenek was like killing them in those yeah. first couple of games. Like, come on, you, you can't get beat by somebody like that <laughs> right. uh, in, in the playoffs, right? <laughs> So, and I think he, the team started doing better as things went along, but then they blew the 15 point lead in game three. And then the series was basically over at that point. Um, so anyone else that you had in your top 10 that we haven't talked about yet? Uh, no, that's everybody. So I have one here. This is a, an attempt to be prescient. And it's also, this guy has been probably the number 97 story with this team this year. So nobody has been talking about it. But I really, really like what I've seen from Steve Nash so far. He is my number nine coach okay. in the NBA. I, I wrote his name down with a question mark in the middle of the pack. Yeah. Just like, I, I didn't like, I don't know what to do with this guy. Um, just because there's... I, I had him at the top of the newcomers, but I didn't know totally what to do with him because, um, yeah, I, I, I just, you know, there's obviously a bunch of talent there. I thought they did some weird things at the beginning of the season that maybe weren't great. Uh, you know, like they, they weren't playing Bruce Brown for some reason. And, uh, but you know, that's any new coach in a new situation is trying to figure things out. Um, d- defensively, they're still not very good. They, they don't have a roster to be very good. Uh, but I think they figured out a balance with the three stars and there hasn't been a lot of drama with them. And I think people underrate how difficult that can be to pull off. Uh, the next challenge for him is going to be, are they just going to bow to the veteranness of Aldridge and Griffin, or are they actually going to play Nick Claxton when the games matter? Well, I so I can talk about a, a lot of those things, and obviously it's premature. We haven't seen him in the playoffs yet. Obviously he has Mike D'Antoni on his staff, who I ranked as my number eight coach last year, and that's you know that's part of this. And in, in some ways, we're ranking both these coaches and their staffs yeah. when we talk about this. Uh, so so that's part of it. And I, I mean, I, I don't think it's fair to ding Nash for having a, a good assistant that he works really well with on his staff. Uh, so I agree it was maybe a little weird in the beginning, but I mean, number one, Steve Nash has done the primary focus of his job incredibly well. And that is just to manage all these pretty difficult personalities, James Harden, KD and Kyrie. Yes, they all want to be together, but there's been all these unexplained absences from Kyrie and Mm -hmm. KD has missed, you know, basically two months with the hamstring and he had multiple health and safety protocol absences. Harden is out with the hamstring right now. And based on the available personnel, if you would have told me that all these guys were going to miss as many games as they have and look at their record, you have to be very impressed that they are where they are, given who's actually been available. And then the rare times that everyone has been available, they've looked awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think he's found enough with the switching system defensively to where they can be passable that this great offense can take over. Uh, I think he's fought, you know, used guys in very interesting roles. And it's taken a little while to get there, but, you know, using Bruce Brown as basically a five on offense, for example, that's been. Yeah. Bit really uh, extremely creative and lets them get his defense on the floor 
which is important for them. And DeAndre Jordan, he's been able to kind of move him out of the lineup for DNPs when needed. And they bring in Aldridge and Blake Griffin. And I think he's he's done a really nice job of dealing with the fact that Kevin Durant seems to basically have all the power in the organization and some of these vets do. And so he's like, all right, you know, against the Bulls, we're going to start LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to prove to you guys that this doesn't work. And then I'm going to say afterwards that, yeah, we're probably not going to go back to that, that yeah. look yeah. anymore. And, you know, just the way he's handled the media with some of the Kyrie stuff, he hasn't, I'm sure it's got to be unbelievably frustrating yeah. for yeah. him. And yet they, he's never said a single thing that could get blown up into some stupid social media quote or show up on first take. He's just like, yeah, "Yeah, it's a personal, it's a personal issue. We're not going to talk about that. We'll keep that private. That's exactly how you handle all this stuff. It's, it's really, he, I mean, it kind of has some very kind of Steve Kerr vibes, but I think he's got a little bit less of like old school asshole in him than Steve Kerr does. So I'm, this is, I I admit he has a very limited resume, obviously. And after the playoffs, if they lose, I I may feel differently, but, and they've been really good in close games this year also which some of that's luck, but at least you can say he's not screwing it up for him. Yeah. So I'm just very impressed with him so far. And this is kind of getting ahead of things. I think if you look at, there's nothing that you could have wanted from him this year beyond what he's done. I think he's completely fulfilled expectations and exceeded them for this team. I agree with that. I, it's just, kind of unproven right now because his yeah. no his uh his big test is coming in the postseason so how he manages that and manages these three guys through that i think is going to be the biggest test so his ranking could obviously shift a lot between now and the next time we do this so here's the next guy rounding out my top 10 okay monty williams okay i had him 13th and I think he is a guy who actually, you talked about Quinn Snyder winning coach of the year. Monty might win <laughs> or, or at least come in second. I mean, Death Phoenix with the second best record in the league after that organization has been such a complete shit show for the last decade. I mean, that's amazing. And I think he himself has really brought a lot of stability to that organization and a lot of credibility. Um, Now, a year ago, it was a little weird because basically every game they would lose by four and he would rip them after the game for being mentally soft or whatever. (laughs) And it was getting a little tiresome. But I think this year he's been a little more level. Um, I think he's found something with like a five-man bench unit that I keep expecting to get its ass kicked, but seems to keep working for them. Uh, I'm a little curious if he keeps riding that in the, in the postseason too. Uh, you know, they've been, they've been fortunate. I mean, they haven't really had any injuries this year of significance and they you know, they're, so they've kind of been able to go on autopilot a little bit, but you can't, you can't argue the job he's done this year though. And then, you know, his track record in New Orleans, I mean, it wasn't bad. Yeah, I thought it was actually kind of bad in New Orleans. I thought they didn't get enough defensively out of a team that had Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday on it. Um, and I, I was on board with him being removed in uh, after 2015. But I think he's and I really was kind of like, what's all the hype about with this guy? You know, the, the Lakers and the Suns are fighting out over him. But I think he just completely changed his stripes in Phoenix. I think he's he, both years he's gotten probably more out of their defense than might have been expected. I think 
Offensively, he's gotten them to run. They are leading the league in assists both of these years. And that's not just like, hey, we'll give it to Chris Paul or Ricky Rubio and let him get 20 assists, although that can happen. It's just a a lot of good ball movement. They uh, have been at the top of the league the last two years in points off of cuts by perimeter players, which I always think is a really nice metric for how good your offense is. If you can just get guys cut into the rim and just get those system buckets. Yeah. He's got Devin Booker in particular. Like I, I've, there's a cut that I call the Devin Booker cut. I mean, I'm not from the corner, sure. right? Yeah. 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 The, where the, the guy will be like getting ready to lock and trail him off a wide pin down. And so Booker will just face cut him right in the lane for a layup. He does that twice a game or, and uh, Bridges does that. Even Kelly Oubre was great for, as a cutter for them. And to get like this, that bench unit with Sharich at center is somehow like an unbelievable defensive unit. Finding and, the right role for Sarich, I think, was pretty impressive yeah. because you could see Philadelphia, Minnesota, and and even last year Phoenix uh, tripping over themselves trying to fig- figure shoehorn him into like a starting four role that didn't really fit. But like as a as a center operating from the elbows where he can like pass and play make and like the other five isn't going to get into his dribble or anything like he's been really effective. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, it seems like most of these guys were not too far off of, on yeah. them. And we haven't seen Monty in the playoffs. It's tough. Again, some of these guys, maybe I will, they'll flub in the playoffs and I'll, I'll feel dumb about having had them this high. But like he's gotten Chris Paul to play faster this year, which that hasn't happened since, uh, since he had Chris Paul back in New Orleans, probably yeah. back, at, back yeah, in 2011 really. and, and was able to also just able to recruit Chris Paul. And he's just been an amazing representative for what was a joke of, of an organization until he got there. So uh, I, I really credit him a lot. DeAndre Ayton has developed a ton mm-hmm. defensively under Monty yeah. Williams. He was awful uh, his rookie year until Monty got there. So he's actually gotten to be totally passable. Now Bridges is one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. They got somehow Cam Johnson, who is supposed to just be one of the worst defenders at his position in the draft. He actually provides competent yeah. defense. Campaign came out of nowhere on this group. It's good now. Yeah, they've done a nice job. Um. Okay, so so that's my top ten. We probably got time for maybe a couple more here. Okay, so um, who, I think the who, next who do you guy, want to talk about here? Yeah, the next guy on my list, I had him twelfth, and he was kind of the end of my like really top tier guys. Uh, is Mike Malone? Yeah, I have Malone lower at seventeen. He's in that eleven to twenty Burr. tier. Seventeen after last year, got him to the yeah, conference finals. I just, you know, it was just a, a a little bit of a fluke to me, and there's still just like a little bit too much of that old school inflexibility. Uh, you know, I think there's that tough love approach kind of works. So, you know, it seems like it's worked with Jokic. It seems like it's worked with Michael Porter Jr. Uh, he did push the right buttons last year, but I, there's also kind of this feel of him just getting lucky, right? Like. Okay, we're going to close out uh, game, I can't remember what game it was, either game five or game six against the Jazz with uh, Monte Morris and P.J. Dozier. Because why? Because P.J. Dozier was out there against the Jazz Reserves when he made a little bit of a run at the nine-minute mark of the fourth quarter. You know, it's just kind of like, all right, this is working, I'm going to go with it. But there doesn't, there just doesn't seem to be like a strong theory behind what he's doing. I think he, I think he just got a little bit lucky. Mm-hmm. Last year, and he deserves credit to me for the culture in Denver. He deserves a lot of credit for the 
their resilience a season ago. Uh, he doesn't deserve credit for using Mason Plumley as a defensive replacement who got scored <laughs> on every single, like literally every single time yeah. they used Mason Plumley as a defensive replacement. Something Not only did happened. they get scored on, but yeah. Mason Plumley himself got scored on. <laughs> yeah, and and you know he would he would put in Plumley, who's a worse defensive player than Jokic mm-hmm. for defense, and yeah. Plumley would just get. So, so some of that late game stuff, I haven't been a huge fan of for him. Yeah, I think they've been kind of around expectations this season, given who's been available. Uh, he just he doesn't. So you have him ranked higher. Tell me, like, not only okay, they made it to the conference finals, but what did he do? that made you and he actually this is he's actually right at the same level that i had him last year i had him at 16 last year so okay. he's actually one lower for me this year but what did what did he do and what has he done that makes you have him higher than i do uh so i think one of the things you have to look at is top-notch player development yep um, I, I agree and, there and that's been a big part of the the program there so he's and he's I mean, he's definitely like the, the front office is involved, but he's definitely the guy, you know, overseeing that and making sure that that happens, too. So I think you have to give him a lot of credit for that. And then I give him credit for being able to succeed over a number of years in the same place. Uh, so I think I, I probably put a little more value on that. I talked about that at the, the top of the show, that to be able to do it for a number of years without driving everybody crazy, I think is, is very difficult. Um, and he's shown he can do that. Yeah. And it's also, I think it helps that he has stars and Murray and Jokic, who I think are, are pretty low maintenance guys as well. But Michael Borgier might not be as, as <laughs> maybe not so uh, low maintenance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, they, but they, but they believe in him too. So it's, it's easier for them to be low maintenance. Right. Yeah, no, that, that that's a good point. So here, let, let me uh, I'll, let me tell you who I had. Yeah, actually, here this this is I, I will say this. I think all the guys in this eleven to twenty tier for me were extremely hard to rank. So I, like I, I, could I easily, got into so right after Mike Malone, I got into like shoulder shrug territory where I was like, okay, I can't really. I can't really tell a lot of these guys apart. Yeah, when it's when I say a guy's in a tier, that means I think if you put one of these guys at the top of the tier, I wouldn't argue with you. So I, I could have Malone as high as eleven. Like that's <laughs> but you know, I've got Popovich eleven, Tyloo twelve, Steve Kerr thirteen. I think all those guys are are better than Malone. And I had a few more speculative guys like Nash and Williams above him as well. Uh yeah, so so I mean I, I guess Steve Clifford probably shouldn't be below uh, above Malone. That's one I, I was as I was going through, I had him a little bit higher. I should probably ax that because Malone has at least proven to be a competent playoff coach. Um, so let me tell you, I've gotten through thirteen here. Yep, I'll give you my number fourteen. This will be our, the last one we talk about before we take some questions, and we've got some plenty of speaker requests in there already. Uh, so if you want to talk about this or anything else, NBA, mm-hmm. uh, Mark Dagnall is my number fourteen coach in the NBA. Wow. Okay. I so, I yeah. didn't know what the hell to do with him. Um, I you know I do we dock him because he's winning games. <laughs> Not in stuff. What the hell are you doing? You're going to screw it all up. 
Well, I think I think they finally uh, they finally made it impossible. They they've tried really hard. So it, here's what I'd say about about Dignall. And again, this is this is one where I'm kind of trying to get ahead of this a little bit. We haven't seen it in the playoffs. We're not going to see him in the playoffs for a while. But there's also nobody that I have. I think I put him at 14 below Steve Kerr for a reason because there's nobody else below Steve Kerr that I look at as like, okay, this guy's had so much success in the playoffs that I really need to to rate that right maybe you could argue malone there but i again i don't think malone has done like an unbelievable job in the playoffs like in terms of just like actually i guess he did shore up the defense in that utah series like that was he definitely outcoached quincenar but he also is so that was a really good one he also has had some bad ones in the playoffs as well so i think i will move malone up i'll probably make him number 14 and and uh dagnall 15 as i talk myself through it um so but dagnall at 15 to me i just he's been so good so far as we're saying hey who would you want to hire right now i think he's shown enough potential that i'm willing to just bet on that potential for the next four years over going with you know james borrego or tom thibodeau or so the guys who i have like just below mm-hmm. this group so that that's why i mean i realize he's unproven mm-hmm. but if we're saying who who would you want to hire right now he's been so good and we could talk about maybe why that is uh and maybe you disagree with me would you, would you but hire, i'm like hey this, he's shown over, enough would you hire him yeah. over taylor jenkins i think i think i would i think i would um Jenkins has been very good as well. He's actually my number 16. So okay. yeah, again, yeah. that's splitting hairs between those two guys. But Jenkins, I think he's it's a little, them not shooting a bunch of threes isn't great. And part of that's personnel, obviously, you know, not playing Melton for some reason has been really weird. Mm-hmm. I think the, they could have done a little bit more to get more out, out of John Morant at, at times the, the last couple of years, though. I think bringing him along slowly also had its points. I, I don't really, I don't really have that many criticisms of Jenkins I'm just I'm not seeing him end of games I don't think he's been amazing uh they have punched above their weight defensively this year he's gotten a lot of out of balances he's done a wonderful job I'm not trying to yeah, yeah. I can't come up with a ton yeah. to kill him I just think that Dignall might have a little bit more upside uh than yeah. Jenkins but. well I asked I asked that out of genuine curiosity because I, I have yeah. Jenkins in the same general area just because like I said I mean he's still you know it's we're a year and a half in now we we know he doesn't suck but we we don't know if he's really like top 15 top 10 material and we probably won't know for a little while here um so I, I was curious yeah well and and Dignall we won't know either but let me let me uh sing his praises before we get to the speaker request the development under him this year has been awesome Lou Dort had a 42 point game yesterday Moses yes. Brown Moses Brown had a stint last year with the Blazers the I think you played like 50 minutes or something and I watched about three of those and it might have been the worst three minutes I've ever seen an NBA player play he was just like you know stepping on the end line trying to inbound the ball and like just losing rebounds committing ridiculous fouls and, and flubbing layups it was I was like I've never seen anything this bad from an NBA player since like the 80s when they just put any big stiff out there just because they're big and he's gotten Moses Brown to actually be reasonably I mean he's not a positive player obviously but you know to even get him I don't, I don't think anyone ever saw him having a 17 and 19 game in the first half Shea yeah. Gilgis-Alexander 
taken another major step forward this year as well under him. How the hell this team has been in the top half of the league all year in defense, I have no fucking clue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's been, probably the yeah. biggest one in his favor, that they've been able to play yeah. competent NBA defense with, like, second-tier guys, most of whom are, like, 22. And, like, playing Isaiah Roby at center and play, like, playing Poku and Maladon together when they're both, like, 19 years old and probably shouldn't even be in the NBA yet and and somehow not getting killed with those groupings is like, okay, you're, you're doing something here. Yeah, and obviously he's in lockstep with the organization. Another, We talked mm-hmm. about this in an earlier episode, another G League head coaching success story in the yeah. NBA. I would really be trying to focus much more on those candidates, maybe than necessarily NBA assistants without head coaching experience. Yeah, totally. In the in the future, when you think of all, all those guys who've really been good there, to and you just get so many reps as you mentioned in the G League. So I'm just really excited by him, and maybe you know I'm obviously they've been grading close games. But that could just be luck. We'll see. Uh, but the, he's done a good job at the end of close games, certainly with the ones that I've watched. So I'm uh, I, I'm in on the Mark Dagnall experience right now, and maybe that'll change uh, by next year. My, and my one criticism is they have to feed Ty Jerome. And really run the whole system through him. I mean, they honestly should make Ty Jerome a player coach. I mean, given given where he went to school, right? He he can handle those. Clearly, the smartest right? guy in the organization. Yeah, him him and uh, him and Bill Russell. Really, those those are the two two players who are, are really who could probably forever qualified to be a player coach. Yeah, uh, s- sadly, that's no longer a lot. Well, we've talked quite a bit about Mark Dignall. So much so, in fact, John that we are going to make Mark Dignalt the Michelob Ultra Coach of the Week. Yes, we are going with a Coach of the Week this time. We know that you all tune in to watch Coach's Coach. No one in the NBA, perhaps, is more titillating than Mark Dignalt. I bet Sam Presti never even remotely considered that Mark Dignalt could perform so well that he would be the Michelob Ultra Coach of the Week. But clearly, OKC has been winning because they are happy. Or maybe they're happy because they win. Who knows? Joy creates success and enjoyment is isn't the end game it is the whole game with only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories Michelob Ultra it's something that you can enjoy and it's only worth it if you enjoy it Mark Dagnall is the Michelob Ultra coach of the week I've had that feeling before when I go on to a search site and you see all these options and you click on something and you're just like man why did I click on this this is just a total waste of time these aren't going to be good you click on a bunch of them 95% of them are just dead ends and indeed is built to change that they are the job site that makes hiring as easy as one two three you post screen and interview all on indeed according to talent nest indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined that is insane so if you're not on indeed for your hiring you should probably get on there it's just a different approach to this you can get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes batch your job description You only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications, and you can even schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Their instant match tool immediately gives you candidates whose resume fits your job description, and their Indeed skills test 
reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skill sets, or you can even add your own and then add your must-have requirements. You're only paying for applications that actually meet your requirements. You're just spending so much less time by only having to consider applicants that actually meet your criteria to begin with. So you get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your posts at indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at indeed.com slash locked. That's indeed.com slash locked. This offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right, well, so that got us through my top 15. Uh, put a pin in where you were, John, and let's uh, take some speaker requests here and we shall begin with one craig stevenson a, a reminder just start talking if it sounds like we can't hear you then say uh can you hear us because this is going to be a podcast later so uh, if you could do us that favor we'd appreciate it craig you are on now craig are you there craig we cannot in fact hear you unfortunately um also guys the locker room sent me a message saying that if you're having trouble getting in, people can't hear you, try just uh, restarting, closing your app and restarting it. That can help you get back in. Um, so, Craig, if you want to jump back in, I will see you again. But for now, uh, we're going to need to move on to Kyle Jackson. Kyle Jackson, are you there? Hey, how's it going, guys? I have a question hey, about Kyle. the I have a question about the Warriors. Uh, I think I'm not in the same boat with most Warriors fans. I'm not as hard on Steve Kerr about what's been going on in the last two years. I feel like he was hired to, you know, coach a championship team. And the theory of him is that he is still preparing uh, this current team for championship contention next year when maybe they're in a better position. So I just wonder, like, what do you think that he should actually be doing? Do you buy this idea that he should be, uh, you know, feeding Steph pick and roll all day? I mean, they don't have any shooters. They don't really have a way to reasonably compete this year. So why do you disagree with the strategy of trying to improve your championship equity, considering that's what you value most in superstar players. Thanks. It's a great, great question. I, Nate, you watch a lot more Warriors than I do, so I, I'll let you take the first swing. So I, I think, yeah, there has been a call for a lot more pick and roll and a lot more pick and roll with Wiseman before he got hurt. The problem with that is that no one ever guards Draymond Green, so he kind of has to be involved in the action because you can't put Draymond Green in the dunker spot the way you can with James Wiseman because Draymond Green can't finish. So it is harder to run pick and roll with the center when you've got Draymond out there, and you also don't have great shooting with Oubre and Wiggins out there either. So I think like when they've had Steph on the floor, I think you would be hard-pressed to say that they should be playing better than they are. They're 24 and 21 in the games. Uh, that's uh, It might be 25. I'm 21 now uh, in the games that Steph plays and they're one in seven without him. And that to me is the biggest criticism with just being unable to find anything offensively with the bench. And they haven't really found a way to even get Andrew Wiggins to the level that he was offensively in Minnesota, where he could at least you know take some shots for you on the bench, give you somewhere to go, even though he wasn't going to be particularly efficient there. So I think that's my biggest problem. You know, how to use Wiseman. I, I put the, Issues with Wiseman, you know, kind of probably 90% on Wiseman and the front office for drafting Wiseman as opposed to on Kerr. Would you agree with that, John? I would, def- I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, the there was way too much expectation that he'd be like a good starting center right away. And I just don't think that was ever reasonable. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that's, do you want to say he's not developed that they've kind of given him a little bit too much leash 
maybe instead of just saying, hey, you're going to defend and you're going to dive to the basket and dunk, he's kind of, he's taking a lot of shots, uh, these like isos or like he loves these mid-range jumpers. I think like hitting those threes right at the start of the year might have been the worst thing that could have happened for him. Like his shooting is just not at that level. His footwork to get to his shot is not really at that level either. Uh, The post-ups are a total disaster. But I think they wanted to really, they're like, oh man, he can like grab and go. He can do some of the stuff. They needed to let him explore that at least a little bit. But so I think their approach with him has been better. He's obviously had the injuries and the absences and some of the irresponsibility. Um, You know, Jordan Poole, I think they're using him reasonably well. The Mannion experiment was absolutely asinine. The idea that like we can't, okay, maybe you don't think Jordan Poole is an ideal point guard. Well, I'll tell you what, Jordan Poole and Kent Bazemore or Jordan Poole and Michael Mulder or Jordan Poole and Damian Lee, that's still going to be a better combination than Jordan Poole and Nico Mannion, whether Jordan Poole is a, a... traditional enough point guard for you or not and particularly because they don't even run that much pick and roll anyway so why do you need that traditional point guard so that would be a criticism um i don't know any any reaction to that at all yeah i think all that's fair and you know to be clear i don't think that they've done a great job with development or in-game coaching particularly this year but i guess i maybe more buy into the sort of long-term philosophy and the idea that you know we're trying to turn Wiggins and Ubre into guys who maybe can fit into the system better. I, I understand the square peg round whole thing, but anyways, I guess I just sort of buy the uh, philosophical approach of building good habits for potential future competition. Yeah, I think that's that's reasonable, but there's also an idea that maybe this system doesn't work as well for some of these guys, and it does have to be stuff centric. And so, just the, over the last two years, and then even really before uh, before Steph even before uh, KD left, that they weren't even efficient offensively without Steph on the floor even then. So, uh, all right, that was a, a great question. Thanks, Kyle. Let's get back to Craig here. He jumped in again. Let's see if we can get Craig going. Craig you are now uh, on the air with uh, me and John here. Uh, thank you very much for getting me back in there. really appreciate it. Uh, big fans. Uh, but I have two, I think, quickest questions, both about the Knicks, and it sort of hurts my heart that I didn't hear Tibbs in the first part of this uh, coach's ranking. Uh, first question is, you sort of alluded to this in the Brad Stevens uh, discussion. Um, I, I guess I'd like Hollinger's um, thoughts of what, what does management do when there's a coach who they have their rotations? And I can certainly say from the Knicks fans, we think that Tibbs doesn't have the best rotations by keeping Alfred Payton in the starting lineup and honestly keeping him on the floor with RJ for any second of a game. Uh, so uh, what's the discussions around? Is this discussions around, hey, Tibbs, maybe you should think about changing your rotations? And when does that really evolve into, hey, guys, we got to get Alfred off the team because Tibbs won't start playing him. And then second quick question is uh, Julius is up for an extension this year, given that he is a quote-unquote all-star. Do you think it would make sense for the Knicks to offer him his, once again, quote-unquote max extension? Uh, and if he did accept that, do you think that would be a good deal for Julius and for the Knicks? Yeah, so I can answer the second question first. They should offer it, but they're limited to a 20% raise, so it's going to get turned down. Uh, because it's only going to be for like starting at twenty four million in twenty two twenty three. He probably figures he can do better than that if he repeats this season, and he'll be right. So I, I would imagine that extension getting turned down. Um, well, yeah, they might renegotiate and extend him. Oh no, they can't because it's got to be a four year deal. So you can't do that actually. So no, so never mind. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, he. So yeah, he started what twenty four million. That's not that's not too amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. But why why don't you uh, address the other the other yeah, question? So I'm sure. Yeah. In, in terms but, in terms of being in the front office, um, you bring it up with the coach. You try to show some some data. Try to try to maybe you know off, offer a different perspective. But at the end of the day, I mean, they may be doing that for reasons that are completely different just in terms of like, well, maybe, you know, maybe I like this other guy better coming off the bench, you know, certainly in Derek Rose's case, um, or maybe I just feel like to keep my locker room together, this is what I need to do, even though I'm going to take an L in the first quarter. Uh, so, so there can be other reasons for it. And then, you know, it's a little different in a case like Peyton, where the guy's going to be a free agent anyway, where you, you might say to yourself, okay, maybe this is one where we don't need to push it too much. But it does get interesting when you're in a situation where the guy is under contract for a while and the coach thinks the guy is a lot better than he is. That 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 could be really tough because then then I think you do have to make some hard decisions as a front office of like do you do you need to remove this guy just just to kind of take that option out of your coach's hands. Um, but hopefully, I mean, hopefully you have enough trust in your coach that you can kind of navigate and there's enough back and forth that you can kind of navigate yourself through this and agree to disagree and it doesn't become a huge thing yeah craig any reaction to that yeah um it, it's sort of funny because i i'm just a guy i'm certainly not an nba coach and you you want to have trust in tibbs particularly given that what were nicks sort of expected to have either the worst or i think what maybe bottom three record in the league and now here they are i think as of today in eighth position um, yeah. with the pot what a game or two behind the fourth uh seed in the east so it's really hard to sort of second guess tibbs but i, I think it's pretty self-evident whenever you watch the games you can uh, you can see that the offense works so much better without Alfred on the floor uh I think uh the team towards the end of 2020 Alfred had a hamstring injury and I think for a lot of Knicks fans that would that just sort of highlighted how much how much better the team sort of operates without him unfortunately uh, Derek Rose also got an injury at that, or not an injury. I believe he caught COVID at that time. So it really messed up our rotations. And I think we had the ability to go on what I think would have been a really good run. And hopefully that would have knocked Tibbs out of his security blanket. But I, I definitely understand what Hondra is saying. But oh God, uh, being a Knicks fan, every day you sort of see the starting lineup get announced. You're just like, oh God, not another day of this. Now we're going to well, be you, you know, if he, because it's Tibbs, if he pulls Peyton out of the lineup, He'll replace him with Todd Gibson. <laughs> hey, Todd, Todd is doing very well this year. As someone who is, a, I think, on a veteran, veteran minimum contract, he is he is definitely punching him above his sort of contract weight. Right. No, I, I agree with you, Craig. And just to finish up uh, on Tibbs, I think he uh, – that's just the deal that you make with Tom Thibodeau. You get – they're, they're playing great defense and but he's also he's going to do it his way he's probably not going to be too open to uh friendly suggestions from the front office or uh the or nick's twitter and but he's still going to have success enough that you feel pretty good about it and then you just wonder two three years from now of whether that wears thin but for a team that was where the knicks were obviously you have to be very happy with what he's done so far this year okay so we got about five minutes left here and 
Let's uh, just try and get your question in real quick, and we'll try and answer it You know, within about 30 seconds or so, see if we can get to the remaining speaker requests we have here. Rob, what's up, man? Good to talk to you again. Yeah. Hey, guys. Um, so I'm currently enrolled in a master's in IT program at Virginia Tech. Um, I was curious, what areas of at basketball do you see the most room for the analytics community and the technical community to have growth? Well, for, first of all, you should have gone to Virginia, but... Uh, as, as to your larger question, the the um, the the place where analytics is blowing up right now is on the medical side uh, on health performance, player tracking. Uh, teams are going through reams of data trying to figure out how to keep players healthy and nobody really knows how to do it yet. And everyone's trying to crack the code. And so there's been a huge investment in that area of analytics uh, in the last three to five years. For me, it's player development. If you can get, uh, and I don't know if, how much analysts can weigh into this, but if you can get guys to make the shooting improvements that, say, Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball made under Fred Vinson in New Orleans, that's worth more than basically anything else you could be doing to get that kind of development from your players. Uh, let's get to Francis McInnes here. Francis. Can you hear me? Uh, love the show. Thank you. Uh, so a, a quick question. I don't want to go uh, you know, too deep here, but Brian Winhorst mentioned in his podcast this week that all the Canadian players uh, are interested in playing for Team Canada this year. Uh, losing Jamal Murray is a huge uh, loss for them, but what do you think their you know, prospects are heading into the Olympics, especially apropos of this coaching discussion since they have uh, Nick Nurse for several years? Yeah, so I think they're still in pretty good shape as far as qualifying out of that group. Um, the thing you want to root for is the Milwaukee Bucks to make the conference finals because then that'll take Giannis yeah. out. For Greece, definitely. Um, but you know, you're still going to have Dylan Brooks, Kelly Olynyk, uh, several other NBA players playing in that. Uh, I guess you know Wiggins is still kind of a <laughs> not totally committed to it, right? Uh, at the very well, least, I don't know if we're going to see him. But yeah, OKC okay, is resting SGA for us. Oh yeah, no, I'm, S, yeah, SGA is a big one. Yeah, I've forgotten about him. But yeah, there's you know there's still a ton of talent on that team. It should be the most talented team in that group in Victoria. They'll have home court advantage. I don't know if they're actually going to have fans in the building, but you know for whatever it's worth, they'll have it. And uh, I, I think they're still in really good shape to advance out of that group. So if it if it weren't for Canada's history in qualifying events, I would I would I would say book it. But uh, I, I know there's a little bit of a curse there, so we'll see. Yeah, and I mean the Murray injury is such a bummer. I mean they could have had Shea and Murray at guards, and then probably RJ at the three. It is still got Justin Thompson. Sorry, yeah. what was that uh, Brandon, Lou Dort, uh, Brandon Clark, Kelly Olynyk. Uh, uh, you know, if the list is pretty long now. Yeah. No, I mean, but but Shea developing into kind of that second star along with Murray would, would have been huge. But yeah, that was, that was pretty impressive, though, John, to even know who is in that group and stuff. I have not yeah, been uh, very. I have not I, been keeping up with that. I, I was going to go before the uh, uh, pandemic hit. And Chris Boucher, even Nikhil Alexander-Walker, uh, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, now the, the history is that half those guys actually end up playing hopefully that won't be the case though i I would like to see uh a full international basketball experience this year and for can i mean we haven't really other than at the youth levels uh us and canada haven't played each other that often so i'd like to see that happen at a uh at a senior tournament uh okay let's uh get to two more requests here chris manara you are on right now right 
Hey, John. Hey, Nate. I uh, hope everything's been going well. I actually was listening to you guys this morning on my way to work. Uh, my question real quick for you, John, um, from the scouting kind of department, um, do you do you hold any extra weight when it comes to players who come out of junior college who you know started their career off at junior college? I'm kind of coming at this from a little bit, I don't want to say biased perspective, but my roommate, my high school point guard, we ended up going to college together. He went to a junior college for two years and he was ranting and raving about how good these Juco guys are, how slept on they are, how, how basically they're diamonds in the rough. And he pointed to Chris Boucher. He actually played against Chris Boucher um, when Boucher was at the New Mexico junior Mm -hmm. college. Um, do you, do you take into, like, is there any extra consideration about guys that go to junior well, college? You, I mean, usually they go to an much? NCAA college first. And so you're able to see them there. I mean, certainly the university of Oregon is very aware of these guys because they got Chris Boucher and now Chris Duarte from the Juco ranks. Um, and Chris, Chris Duarte is, I mean, he's like 23 or 24, but he might end up going in the first round this year. Uh, I, it's interesting because, when I was younger, so many more players came up through the JUCO ranks, and now it's relatively uncommon, and you, you don't see it as much. But, like, Larry Johnson was the number one pick in the draft, and he had gone through JUCO and then to UNLV. Um, you know, Sean Kemp was another one who went JUCO straight to being drafted in the lottery. And you, you just don't see that anymore. Um, but there, there still is talent there, and I think the smart – NCAA schools are still aware of that talent. From an NBA perspective, I can't ever remember us saying we have to really watch this JUCO guy. I guess Jaden Scrub came out of JUCO this year, who was a uh, one of the last ten picks in the yeah. draft. But it really hasn't been a case where where we've said, you know, we have to see this JUCO event. I, I can't remember that happening in my seven years with the Grizzlies. All right, thanks for that question. And that's going to have to do it. Uh, thanks to those of you who join in here. Uh, obviously, we do this every week, probably at the same time next week uh, as well, 2 Eastern, 11 Pacific. And we will talk to you all next time. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.